in our uh, crawl space, in our roof cavity, extracting five rotting uh, rats. Uh, today I am preaching after a seven-year hiatus, and I'm not sure which one I think would be more difficult to do. You'd have to decide yourselves. Um, I'm very grateful this, for this opportunity and, um, and for the love that your church has shown me. Um, chaplaincy is a very difficult job. It's a very lonely job as well. So we need support uh, of people, their prayers. Um, I think sometimes even convincing that what we're doing matters as well. So thank you again for this opportunity to speak to you. You may all know that the uh, 2021 census came out, the results of that census. And it's caused a bit of a stir, a lot of interest in the newspapers, particularly in regards to religious um, following. Uh, they are very quick to note that uh, religious belief is declining in Australia and that non-religious belief is increasing. And if you see any of the uh, graphs, they make it very stark that it's going like this in opposite directions. I know Stan Grant did a, an article and the heading was, God is dead, but what next? Uh, even my manager at uh, one of the facilities I work at um, brought that to light. But she wisely noted that this is part of the cause, she felt, of a lot of the depression that she's noticing in her staff, a lot of hopelessness uh, she's finding in her workers. So she's not a Christian, but she recognises that with the loss of faith comes a loss of hope and a loss of any future orientation for a lot of people, particularly when they are struggling in life. So for Christians, we know this is part of a journey of our lives. We are moving forward to a kingdom um, for our inheritance. So as we age and we start to combat those difficulties in our lives, even as parents or as teenagers getting older and becoming adults, we at least know that we have this orientation towards something that's greater than this. And the, the fullness of our lives, the healing, that there will come a time where we'll become the people that we should have always been, whole people, redeemed people. Um, today's reading, I, was, I could have chosen the Good Samaritan and I thought, no, no, I'm going to challenge myself uh, by the story of the letter to the Colossians. And the reason being, because of that census data that we're receiving, um, we are moving into a new, um, I suppose, Australian society. Um, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and when I was a younger man, the things that you know, made me feel out of sorts was that, oh, we weren't really into parties and things like that, that we were sort of wowsers in the old language. Uh, I never thought society would have changed so much that now publicly I am becoming uh, a bit of a problem for my society that I live in. Now, that's normal for a lot of countries. A lot of Christians living in other countries are being persecuted all the time for their faith. But as Australians, we've had a pretty good, a good run. We've been very comfortable here, very comfortable. And that's largely because the Western way of uh, worship or the Western way of seeing religion is that it's a private thing. Um, the wider society likes it when we're private about our religion, that we hide away in our churches, we pray at home, and, but don't let any of what you believe or practice or how you conduct yourself ethically, don't let it be done out there so much. But what's happening now, we're finding that we can't avoid those clashes. Uh, it's happening in our workplaces. I think that's the big thing. 
It's happening when it comes to marriage, or even now how people view themselves as human beings. What does it mean to be human is one of the big questions out there. Uh, and so it's not just something that we can, you know, we love God and we do our social work, or we work in hospitals, and they're all good things that, you know, the government will say, they're great things. We like those things. We like when Christians do those things. What we don't like is when you start preaching uh, out there about uh, Jesus being Lord. We don't like you um, voting against things that we want this society to be moving towards. So I think the letter to Colossians uh, is very, um, a very appropriate text today to wrestle with as Christians because we really have to start defining more uh, what we are about. Who are we in this culture that we live in? Our lives can no longer be just privately um, run. We have to have confidence, we have to have courage as a group of people, not just on our own, with our own faith. So that's really about what I want to talk about. And Paul, in his wonderful letter to the Colossians, he gives them a picture of sort of, I suppose, the rationale. This is how you should be thinking, and this will help you to navigate this life. It'll also give you courage to navigate this life. And the reason is, well, it's just simply true what I'm telling you. So I'll explore that just quickly. Uh, I'm mindful of time, so I'll just try and work my way through it, and hopefully just some of those big uh, themes uh, you can grasp. I'm very grateful to Quentin for reading the text, by the way. Where are you? Because you cut my time. <laughs> um, one of the things we notice in the scripture is that Paul has never met these people before. Uh, he had never been to, Col to Colossae. Uh, a man called Epaphras had been there, and also Philemon. And we got a letter to Philemon from Paul. They were both from Colossae, and they obviously had gone to Ephesus, where Paul was. They'd heard him preach. They were converted, and they returned to their town, Colossae, uh, and obviously started to evangelize there. So they are two friends or two people who became friends in Christ who were acquainted with Paul. So Paul's writing letters to people he doesn't even know, but he hears about them through these friends he has. How does Paul see this group, this fledgling group of Christians? And I hope you can see this as yourselves as well, that Paul is talking to you. He says to them, you are part of a kingdom, a kingdom where Christ is the head. And you've been transferred from a different kingdom. And that kingdom was one of darkness. It was one of being blind, one of being in bondage to the society's mores, its values, its conduct. Now, of course, the church in Colossae was a pagan, uh, it was centered in a pagan area. Um, there would be public feasts and festivals where you know, everyone was expected to go out publicly and demonstrate their religion as a society. In the ancient world, there was no private life. You know, we, we have private lives. We have houses where you don't even have, have to go through the door anymore. You, know, you just drive straight in and in you go. You know, you, you've got everything set up in there, your entertainment, your life, everything's in there. But in the ancient world, unless you were very rich, you were never private. Everyone knew what you were doing all the time. And so as Christians, the Colossian church, if you don't start coming out to the public feasts and you don't start worshipping their gods and you don't start acknowledging Caesar, 
who would have been Nero at that time, the infamous Nero, um, you were in big trouble. Now, why would they say you're in big trouble? Well, the reason is that um, we have to honour our gods. Um, and when people stop honouring the gods, we get trouble. And so for Christians who are starting to know Jesus as God, as their new king, their emperor, if you like, because that's some of the imagery that Paul draws upon, Jesus is the image of God, unlike Nero, who on the, on the little coins and that sort of thing, there's the image of the emperor, of their God, their king. Jesus is our king. And that makes, makes for a very uncomfortable uh, placement of you in society. So that's the setting. So Paul is saying, you're moving from one kingdom into another. Now, as Aussies, who have for many decades, I suppose, felt very comfortable in our society, and like I said earlier, yes, we might be considered wowsers, you know, I'm not going to drink that, or I'm not going to party with you, or I remember um, as a Baptist in the 80s, there was all, even that overhang about movies and, and dancing and things like that. Um, but never like it is now, never a case of actually um, what we stand for is considered disruptive in society. And that's what we really are doing. Now, the good thing is we should have confidence in that because our lives, our churches, our message is a mirror to society. And they know it is a mirror. And that mirror shows them that this is not right. This is not good for us as a society. This is not holy. So that's the first point. We have to start thinking of ourselves as being part of a kingdom that starts now, not just a king of heaven that ends there. It starts now, and we move towards our inheritance. On the point of being disruptors, if you like, I mentioned earlier with Damo that the voluntary is dying. I know people even here might have conflicting ideas about it. But that was something that we never ever had to contend with in our society. We, nurses, doctors, um, families never had to be, make decisions like this. We never foresaw it happening. And these are the sorts of things that actually are dividing people up and causing them much distress. When we buck the system as Christians, and cause problems for ourselves. We don't want to cause problems. Most, you know, most of us want to work. Um, chaplaincy in schools is a, a, Lynette's obviously going to be learning it as well. Uh, it's awkward. You're out of place. You, you're trying to navigate things, be diplomatic. And uh, it's very difficult to be a faithful to Jesus without feeling like you're compromising at different times. Uh, the church father, Tertullian, who was writing about 100 years after Paul, says about in his setting, this is what was happening. He says, they think the Christians the cause of every public disaster, of every affliction with which the people are visited. If the Tiber rises as high as the city walls, if the Nile does not send its water up over the fields, if the heavens give no rain, if there is an earthquake, if there is famine or pestilence, straight away the cry is, away with the Christians, to the lions. Bless his heart. In the end, the local gods don't like competition. 
And as Christians, we are competition. We are poking the spiritual realities around us. And unfortunately for most Australians who are not religious, not Christians, they're just blind. It's a blindness to them. So it's not that we would ever you know, hate them or dislike them for their choices. It's quite reasonable. They don't know. They are blind. And that's what our challenge is. We have to tell them what's going on. Back to the census. I looked up Margaret River. How could I resist? Has anybody looked at it? You looked at it? Oh, yeah. There's some hands, nods. Makes very interesting reading. Margaret River. Wow. Your setting is very different to even Bunbury, where I'm from. And definitely very different to the national averages. So for those of you who haven't actually read them, Margaret River has about 8,900 people and the average age about 39 years of age. Not very young, but certainly not very old. But that group, 39. Uh, of the 8,900 people, 62% have no religion and another 9% didn't bother to answer the question. So altogether, about 71.5% of people in Margaret River either have little or no interest in religion. Not enough to tick a box. 71% of you. Uh, the national average was 46%. So you're up against it. You really are reseeding the kingdom here in Margaret River. So what about the Christian population in Margaret River? How many of us is there? Well, there's about 20% Christians, so pretty good. I mean, not, not too bad. Um, there's a lot of people here who want Jesus' kingdom to be made present in its midst, who want people to know Jesus. Right, what do I put here? Oh, what's the national average? 44%. Oh, Margaret River, 50% less Christians in your area. So I hope that gives you some perspective about that. This is what the, West, uh, about the Australian newspaper said about um, religion generally. They said, what emerges from this data is a roller coaster showing that Australians are most likely to believe in a God of some sort at the age of 16. So you're in a good place there, Lynette. Primary school, bit of high school. Um, but by the age of 23, any 23-year-olds? They start to lose faith. It disappears for whatever reasons that might be. Traditionally, Australians increase their belief factor as they raise families and they progress through the life cycle. Why? Because life gets hard again. You start to have kids who are going off on tangents that you are not happy with. Life starts to become confusing. You start hating your jobs. You start losing meaning. You start getting old. Your body's failing you. So which Australians are the most devout? What age group do you think? 80 and over. So my group, the group that I'm ministering to. So Lynette, we've got the right groups. So you've got young people who are still interested in God, who still have some belief and hope, maybe through their parents' influence. And I've got the older generation who still have retained or are retaining still their faith or starting to re-examine their faith. So why this talk about statistics? 
Well, I wanted to place your uh, context in relation to Paul's Colossian church's context and just see how Margaret River matches up with the people that Paul's addressing, the letter to his church, the church that he had never met. So what was Colossae? It was a country town. Uh, it's in Turkey. Has anyone been there? Anyone been to Turkey and visited all the, the seven churches of the book of... Oh, mine. there's lots of people gone. So the seven churches of the book of Revelation are all there in Turkey, Asia Minor. So how many Christians, or how many people, I should say, in this country town? 25,000. So probably closer to Bunbury, maybe. Bunbury's, you know, in a not greater Bunbury, but Bunbury. So that's, what, three times bigger than Margaret River, but smaller than Bunbury. Uh, how many Christians? Well, Margaret River's got 20% of Christians. I did my very bad maths. Uh, so for a town of Colossi's size, you'd expect 5,000 out of 25,000 would, uh, would be Christians. I was looking up um, some New Testament scholars to get a bit of a handle of, you know, how, how big were these churches? Because um, in Jerusalem, you hear things like, oh, there was 3,000 people were added to their number, was it daily or that day? I can't remember. And so we get pictures in our minds of big churches, you know, real successful churches that are being planted. N.T. Wright, the um, British scholar, uh, believes that the church probably had about two to three households. So eight, ten people, uh, hopefully 20 people. So what percentage of Christians did they have? Well, they had less than 1% of Christians. And yet we've heard this wonderful text of excitement that Paul had. You know, this gospel was going out to the whole world. And in Paul's mind, the whole world includes eight people in a town of 25,000. So take heart. We should take heart with that. Here's a little funny twist. Where was Paul when he was writing this letter? Well, those of you who know your Bibles will probably know that he was in prison. Hello. What a great success, he must have thought. Why? I mean, this is what astounds about Paul. His faith, his excitement. My goodness. There's those of me, like me, I get paid very well. I get paid to go out and be a chaplain, to be you know, a Christian to people, and I get paid very well to do it. Here's Paul in prison, excited, writing this letter to eight people and eight people he's never met <laughs> so he's in jail um, and he's asking these Christians to stake their lives on this proclamation this message of a messiah who comes who dies killed by who oh the Romans oh yeah I'm sorry about that but the the actual people that I'm saying oh they they they're not that's not the kingdom but they killed the Messiah, but the Father raises, them, raises him again. And not only that, he tells them, look, this Jesus is not only the Lord of this world, he's the Lord of the cosmos. And that's the second part of this reading, which we didn't read today. But I'm going to end with that reading to let you know how expansive Paul's idea of Jesus Christ, our Lord, is. I'm going to say this one little bit. Paul and his fledgling church, who endured every form of hardship due to their commitment to the Lord Jesus, persisted for one reason only. And we should be the same. 
It's because it's true. For all our arguments, for all our attempts to, uh, at apologetics, it's important. I love to discuss our theology with people. But Aussies generally are not that kind of people. We're not living in Paris sitting in cafes, which I would love to live like that, and actually discuss, you know, what do you think life's about, or whatever. The new philosophies, Aussies are not like that. In my time as a chaplain, one of the things I've got to do is I do a spiritual assessment. So I say to people, they've just come in, hi, I'm Brad, I'm the chaplain. Could you mind if I ask you some questions about your spiritual life? And they look at me like, what are you, what? And so you say, what's meaningful for you? Shrug the shoulders. And then I have to sort of almost prompt them. And your family? You know, fa family? Yeah, 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 my family. Um, what makes you want to get up in the morning? Um, what, how do you uh, endure hardship? What, what gets you through? Well, you just got to get on with it, don't you? And this, I hear this over and over again until I meet a Christian who says, oh, I love God and I pray and I, oh, good, I can fill this one out nice and neatly. But that is what we're dealing with. Paul's success rate was small by our standards. I went to Billy Graham Crusade, the last ever in London in 1989. I lied, I didn't go to it. I saw it televised when I was living in England. I was living in Bath at the time and was invited. That's actually where I became a Christian, through Billy Graham. You know, a massive altar call. I did the altar call. It was ex extraordinary. So Paul's success rate was small by those standards. And the message did not go beyond the Mediterranean. Paul says it's going throughout the whole world. We know it didn't go out through the, literally the whole world. But for him, it was the whole world. He was so excited to see little pockets of Christians believing in this message of the crucified Jesus because he knew God is doing things. It's the Holy Spirit who's doing these things. The proclamation of Christ crucified is accompanied by power. We heard that today. This message changes lives. And we attempt to conform our lives to Christ because we should as citizens in his kingdom and as servants of our master. And we must continue to meet, worship and encourage each other, put up with each other. I made sure I put that in there. Uh, every church group I've been part of has struggled. I've had people that disliked each other, <laughs> that are a bit odd or successful, not successful, bad luck. It's always been like that. It will always be like that. So your church here or my church up in Bunbury, we come around Jesus and we have to put up with each other and support each other and believe in each other. Okay, we just have to do it. Uh, that is what people will see. It's not that we all get along. What they'll see is we bother to get along. We bear it. We put up with it. You can come here and join us and we'll put up with you as well. <laughs> Thank you. That can be my quote, quote for the day. I was in a house church. We even tried to do a house church, and that was bad news as well. Tough. Okay, so I'm going to finish now. So let's hear Paul's own words. This is uh, Paul's hymn to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. 
It's Paul's expansive view of who Jesus is, and it's the one that we have to tap into. We have to go read about it to understand it. It is so deep, it's so complex, it's so profound that it would take, I, I don't even understand. Okay, so I'll read this to you and that will be my end. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen. Thank you.